Well, hey, good morning, Plum Creek. Great to see all of you here today, and I want to say welcome to all of you, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. And I know that some of you may be new to Plum Creek, and others have been here for a long time, but no matter who you are, I'm glad you joined us. And I want to begin this morning by reading a verse that I've been thinking about all week. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and these words are from the Apostle Paul. And I want to hear what he has to say. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now that one verse gives us a lot to think about. Uh, There's a lot here that applies to our world today. Now, of course, Paul is writing back in the first century, almost 2,000 years ago, and the situation back then was very different. It was the time of the Roman Empire, and the Romans believed in all kinds of man-made gods like uh, Jupiter, the god of the sky, and Neptune, the god of the sea. But in the first century, the Romans started to hear about this new movement of people who followed and worshipped a man named Jesus. And at first, many of them were very skeptical. They found it hard to believe that the Savior of the world would be some poor man from Palestine who was crucified like a criminal. In other words, they were blinded by the God of their age. They failed to see that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the resurrected King, the Savior of the world. Now, over time, many of the Romans did come to believe. They they learned that the stories about Jesus were actually true, and they committed their lives to follow him. But that was 2,000 years ago. So what about now? Uh, Are people in 21st century America blinded by the God of this age. Well, there are plenty of people in our country who don't believe what the Bible says about Jesus, but I have a statistic that I want you to consider. In 2019, the Pew Research Center published a survey that said 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians. So from a Christian perspective, Uh, That means that over half the people in this country don't have a problem with spiritual blindness, right? Well, I wish that was the case, but it's not. Unfortunately, uh, many Americans have beliefs that come not from the Bible, but from the culture around us. And why would that be? Well, uh, they... They are taking in ideas that, that are assumptions in our world right now. Uh, and that's a very big deal because your ideas have consequences. Your beliefs will shape the way that you live. And if your beliefs are opposed to God's truth, that's going to take you down a dark and dangerous road. Now, in order to see what I'm talking about here, we need to go back in time a little bit. I need to talk about some old dead guys. And this is important because many of the common beliefs in our culture today can be traced back to certain historical figures. First, I want to mention Rene Descartes. 
He was a really smart guy. He was born in France around 400 years ago. And Descartes has been called one of the founders of modern philosophy. So what did he believe? Well, Descartes would tell you to doubt everything you've been taught. He, he would say, you should define your own reality. What's true for someone else is not necessarily true for you. And wow, for a guy that lived hundreds of years ago, that sounds a lot like something you might hear today, right? But where does this belief system take you? Well, if you buy into Descartes' philosophy, you are choosing to worship the God of me. And that belief system leads to moral chaos because every individual gets to decide for themselves what is right and what is wrong. So that's Rene Descartes. Next, let's look at Karl Marx. Marx was the author of a little pamphlet called The Communist Manifesto. It's just 23 pages, but this pamphlet has led to a tremendous amount of damage in our world. Uh, Marx wrote from a godless worldview. He rejected sin. He said that religion is the opium of the people. Faith is just a delusion. It might make you feel better, but there's no truth in it. So what happens when you adopt Marxist ideas? Well, if there's no God and no sin, life has no guardrails. You, you can do whatever you like. And if you find yourself in a position of political power, you can just abuse that power to get whatever you want. Of course, many Marxist leaders did just that. Communist regimes have killed over 100 million people. So, obviously, Karl Marx is not a person to be celebrated, right? We, we should all agree on that. Well, unfortunately, many people don't see it that way. Three years ago, on the 200th anniversary of Marx's birth, the New York Times published an opinion piece by Jason Barker. He's a professor of philosophy. And the title of that article was, Happy Birthday, Karl Marx, You Were Right. And if you read uh, through this article, Barker basically said, Carl, we are with you, man. A lot of us are trying to build the kind of society you talked about. Now, I know it might seem like I'm turning this sermon into a philosophy class, but I need to mention just two more names. One of them is Charles Darwin. Of course, most of you know that Darwin was the driving force behind the theory of evolution. And that theory states that we're all here by accident. Life just happened to appear, and we've evolved over time to become the complex creatures that exist today. Darwin's theories are now widely accepted in the intellectual and scientific community. But ideas have consequences, right? So let's think about that. According to Darwin, man is just an animal. And in the animal kingdom, it's all about survival of the fittest. The strong survive and the weak die off. That's how the species evolves and, and gets stronger. And if you apply that to the human race, Darwinism tells you that it is bad for our species if we allow the weak to live. And you know where that idea leads you? It leads you to someone like Hitler. Adolf Hitler was a ruthless Darwinian. 
And he not only exterminated millions of Jews, he also killed countless numbers of people who were mentally disabled or elderly or diseased. Anyone who was judged to be inferior. If you really believe in natural selection and survival of the fittest, you have no grounds to say that what Hitler did was wrong. Okay, just one more. Let's look at Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche was a German philosopher. Uh, He had a major influence on modern thinking. And according to Nietzsche, there is no good, there's no evil. Life has no meaning. Literally, nothing matters. And, And you could argue that Nietzsche was the most brutally honest atheist. He followed the path of atheism to its logical end. Listen to this famous quote. Nietzsche said, God is dead and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? I believe he understood that if you reject God, there are severe consequences. Because if life is truly meaningless, what is the point? In his later years, Nietzsche suffered a complete mental breakdown. And I don't know if his beliefs led him to that breaking point, but it would make sense if there was a connection there. Now, I decided that it's worth our time to look at a few of those old dead guys because we can see how many of their beliefs have been adopted by our culture, right? And like I said, Many self-proclaimed Christians have beliefs and ideas that did not come from the Bible. They came from the culture around us. That shows up in a recent study. Check this out. Among Christians who believe the Bible to be true, the, the reliable Word of God, a majority reject absolute truth. In other words, what's true for you is not necessarily true for me. That's Descartes, right? And let's put that statistic alongside another one. Among those same Christians who believe the Bible to be true, 61% do not read it on a regular basis. So this makes all kinds of sense, right? Because if you constantly take in the ideas of the culture and you're not taking in the ideas of Scripture, the truth of God's Word, what's going to happen? What's going to take you right where we are today? A biblical worldview is overshadowed by the beliefs of the culture, which means many people have been blinded by the God of this age. The Apostle Paul wrote about spiritual blindness among unbelievers, but today we also have spiritual blindness among people who claim to be believers. In many ways, we live in a time of chaos. However, the first century was also a time of chaos. And Jesus stepped right into that chaos 2,000 years ago. For the past few weeks, we've been looking at several statements that Jesus made about his identity and his mission. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus returns to his hometown, the village of Nazareth. And he, he goes to the synagogue there. And he stands up in front of the congregation and he reads these words from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners 
and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And after reading those words, Jesus said, this prophecy is about me. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing because I'm here now and these are the things I came to do. Now for Plum Creek or for any other church, Uh, We need to look at this passage very closely because God has called us to follow the example of Jesus. His work has become our work, and God will enable us to carry on the ministry of Jesus. This is the way forward. So every week during this series, we're focusing on one particular phrase from this passage. Week one was good news to the poor. Week two, last Sunday, was to set the oppressed free. And today, we're talking about recovery of sight for the blind. And if you've been with us for the past two weeks, uh, you know that there's a double meaning to most of these phrases. They work on two levels, physical and spiritual. And that's also true in our phrase for today. First, Jesus did give sight to those who were physically blind. As you read the Gospels, there are multiple accounts of Jesus healing the blind. And again, why did he do that? Well, there are several reasons. Number one, Jesus did have a genuine compassion for people who were suffering. But number two, every time Jesus performed a miracle, he showed us that he is no ordinary man. He is the man who is also God. But as we've said before, Jesus didn't heal every sick person who was alive at that time. Most of the blind people remained blind. So why didn't he heal everyone? Well, it's because Jesus was more concerned with healing our spiritual blindness. A minister named Steve Pattison put it this way. He said, physical blindness is bad. Spiritual blindness is hellish. Physical blindness handicaps people for a time. Spiritual blindness corrupts and destroys forever. So let's spend the rest of our time today focusing on this theme of spiritual blindness. Jesus gives sight to those who are spiritually blind. And before we assume that this is about somebody else, let's all remember that we all have our blind spots And with that in mind, I want to look at a story where Jesus healed a man who was physically blind. The man's name was Bartimaeus. And we can find this story in Mark chapter 10. So read along with me. Mark 10, starting with verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you and throwing his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. 
Now, there's a lot we could talk about in this story, but I want to zero in on just two things, a question and a response. The question comes from Jesus, and the response is from Bartimaeus. And it's kind of a dramatic scene, isn't it? When Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is calling him, he jumps to his feet, and he starts walking. And it could be that someone was guiding him, but maybe not. Maybe he was just staggering over to Jesus as best as he could. But one thing is sure, everybody knew that this man was blind. But then, what does Jesus say to Bartimaeus? He asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Are you kidding, Jesus? (laughs) Do you really need to ask that question? I think it's pretty obvious what he's going to want. But as usual, Jesus is very intentional here. He gives Bartimaeus the chance to reveal his heart and express his faith. And what's the response from Bartimaeus? He says, Rabbi, teacher, Lord, I want to see. It's a very simple response, but it's also profound. When we come to Jesus in faith and we ask him to do a great work in our lives, that's exactly what he will do. However, we have to wrestle with that question. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, Bartimaeus said, I want to see. But what about you? Is that what you want? Is that really what you want? Because here's the thing, if you are used to the dark, the light is painful. Have you ever been asleep in a dark room and then some rude person walks in and they flip the lights on? What's that like? You shield your eyes, you look around for a shoe or something else that you could throw at that person. Or maybe you've been to the optometrist and you've gotten your eyes dilated and your pupils grow to this ginormous size. Or if you're lucky, they give you a pair of those disposable sunglasses because when you go outside, it's going to be painful. Well, that physical sensation is a lot like what happens spiritually. In John chapter 12, Jesus said this about himself. He said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. And that sounds great, right? Why would anybody want to stay in darkness? But let me tell you, if you have been partially or completely blinded by the God of this age, that light is going to be painful at first. A few years ago, Rick Warren posted a quote that said, The truth will make you free after making you miserable. And that is so true. Because it can be very hard to let go of wrong beliefs and misconceptions. So let's think about how this plays out in a person's life. Let's look at one misconception that is very common in our world today. It's the belief that says, no one should claim to know the truth. You can believe whatever you want, but don't you dare tell me what I should believe. Don't you dare say that Jesus is the only way to God. Anybody who claims to know the truth is arrogant and exclusive and dangerous. Because the only way we could ever have peace in this world is to be completely inclusive. We all need to admit that every religion, every belief system is equally valid. Now in those words, do you hear some echoes from those old dead guys? What's true for you 
is not necessarily true for me. We're all just animals, so do whatever seems right to you. And there's no such thing as absolute truth. There's no set of morals that applies to everyone. And remember, 52% of Americans who claim to be Christians and claim to believe the Bible, they also say there's no such thing as absolute truth. And that's a big deal because ideas have consequences. What you believe will shape how you live. And we need to look at those consequences, but before we do that, I need to say something about this popular belief. Uh, That statement, no one should claim to know the truth, it's illogical. I heard Tim Keller point out the fallacy here. He said, uh, if you say that no one should claim to know the truth, you know what that is? It's a claim to know the truth. You're accusing Christians of trying to evangelize you, but you're doing the same thing. You're trying to evangelize me. You're you're saying you need to abandon your view of God and accept my view. The only difference is the other person's not admitting that they're evangelizing, but they're being just as exclusive as anyone else. And on top of that, people don't really believe that Every religion and every belief system is true, equally valid. Uh, Here's how you can tell. Almost everyone has at least one moral standard that they want to apply to everyone, no matter who you are. Last week I talked about sex trafficking and child slavery. The vast majority of people would say that sex trafficking and child slavery are universally wrong. No matter what culture you come from, even people who don't believe in moral absolutes want that to be a moral absolute. But it's such a shame. If you say that all belief systems are equally valid, you are completely helpless in the face of injustice. What right do you have to say that anything is wrong? When you follow in the footsteps of Descartes and Marx and Darwin and Nietzsche, You have no grounds. You forfeit the right to say that any particular behavior is wrong for everyone. So if this belief is both nonsensical and dangerous, why would anyone accept it? Especially people who claim to be Christians. Well, it all comes down to this. Spiritual blindness is living for self instead of God. We all have this tendency towards sin. We have this desire to do what we want instead of what God wants. It's worshiping the God of me. And whenever you come across a belief that tells you it's okay to worship the God of me, there is a part of you that wants to adopt that belief and make it your own. But ideas have consequences, right? So let's look at some consequences of this idea Let's look at what happens when we combine biblical truth with cultural error. How does wrong thinking shape our behavior? Well, here's one way that we might try to combine uh, the truth of the Bible with the beliefs of the culture. We might start to think, well, it's okay for me to live for myself and also live for God at the same time. I will be happy to do whatever God wants me to do unless his agenda doesn't agree with my agenda. 
And I'm happy to believe whatever God wants me to believe unless it makes me look weird or behind the times. And I am more than happy to follow Jesus unless I start getting pushback or rejection or, God forbid, persecution. But what does God's word say about this kind of thinking? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. It doesn't work. We can't have it both ways. But when we throw out moral absolutes, that's exactly what's happening. We're trying to have it both ways. We want God's love and we want God's blessings, but we don't want him telling us what to do. We don't want to change our behavior. It's another way we combine the Bible and the culture. We start to think, well, it's probably okay to just pick and choose which of God's commands I want to obey. You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, no matter who you are, there is something in the Bible that will rub you the wrong way. It might be where God says, stop your obsession with money and stuff and material things and learn to be generous. Or maybe you don't like it when God says, vengeance is mine, not yours. So stop thinking about revenge and forgive that other person. Or maybe you have trouble when God tells us to reserve sex for marriage. Maybe you have a hard time following Jesus when he tells us to serve everyone and never expect or demand to be served. There will always be some command of God that you don't want to obey. And if you start to define your own truth, you can just skip past the commands that you don't like. But that is spiritual blindness. That's living in the dark. That's the kind of life that leads to destruction. But Jesus came into this world as a light so that no one who believes in him should stay in darkness. The question is this, do you want to see? And if you truly want to see, you have to lay down your own desires, your own preferences, and surrender to God. Some of us need to surrender to God for the first time. Others of us did surrender at some point in the past, but then we went back to do things our way. And I realize we all struggle to stay in that place of surrender. But what's going to help us get past our selfish tendencies and live according to God's will and God's truth? Well, a preacher named John Piper said something that I think is powerful. He said, this is the root of our spiritual blindness. We fail to see the beauty of God. So we, we wind up preferring other things to him. This is why we prefer darkness over light. This is the very essence of what is evil about us. We need a clearer picture of who God is. Because when we get a glimpse of who he is, his greatness, and his goodness, his power, his glory, his holiness, his love, everything in this world starts to pale in comparison. It reminds me of a quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. 
our deepest longing is for God himself. We were created to worship him, not to pursue our own desires. And the amazing thing is, when we lay down our desires and surrender to God, we find out that living for him is also good for us. Sure, the light of God's truth is painful at first, but over time, if you stay in the light, God's way begins to make sense. Think about those commands that we don't want to obey. What happens if we do things God's way? Well, when you let go of material things and you live a life of generosity, you find this peace and fulfillment that you never had before. And when you let go of bitterness and you learn to forgive, you set a prisoner free. And you find out the prisoner you set free was you. God's way works. And when you follow his plan for relationships and sexuality, he saves you and others from so much pain. And he makes marriage infinitely stronger and richer. And then when you live to serve others and you don't expect anything in return, you receive blessings that you could never find by trying to live for yourself. God's way works. So do you see the beauty of God? If you're not quite there yet, look at Jesus. Look at the gospel, the good news about Jesus. The good news starts out bad because every one of us is a sinner. We, we all made ourselves repulsive to God by choosing our way instead of his way. But despite everything we've done, God never stopped loving us. At the same time, though, God cannot allow sin to go unpunished because he is good so that's why jesus came he went to the cross and he took our punishment the punishment we deserved we were the ones who deserved to die but jesus took our place he suffered for you he suffered for me and he made it possible for all of us to get back to god but not by trying to be good enough just by his grace Have you ever wondered if anyone truly loves you? If so, look at Jesus. At a time when you were spiritually bankrupt, he came and he brought good news to the poor. At a time when you were enslaved by sin, Jesus came to set the oppressed free. And at a time when you walked in the darkness, Jesus came to give sight to the blind. Do you see the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of God? That's the core issue here. Our eyes need to be opened to who he is. Remember the verse we started with today? I want to go back to that verse, but this time I'll read just a bit further. Read along with me. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 through 6. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So that's the problem. Spiritual blindness, an obscured view of God and of Christ. But in the next verse, the Apostle Paul says, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. 
Paul was lifting Jesus up. He was preaching in a way to help others see Jesus better. And why was he doing that? Well, for Paul and his companions, they wanted everyone to experience what they had experienced. Verse 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I love that. You know, I am well aware of my limitations as a preacher and a speaker. I'm not a politician. I'm not a salesman. And if you're looking for somebody who can convince masses of people to do a certain thing or believe a certain thing, I'm not your guy. But here's what I can do. I can pray to God and say, Lord, as I share your word, can you help people see your beauty? And will you speak through your spirit and open our eyes to see a clearer picture of you? And will you help everyone listening to prefer you over the things of this world? That's exactly what I prayed for this week. And I honestly hope that God spoke to you today. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, I realize that we uh, don't see you nearly as well as we should. We're just human, and you understand that. But I know you also make it possible for us to see you through your word, through the example of Jesus. So, Lord, open our eyes so that we can see you and love you more. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.